Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. Credit to Justin Campbell at jcamp1521 for the intro. If you guys, uh, if you guys, are you ever a podcaster out there and you're looking for anyone for any podcast needs, to be editing, uh, intro, stuff like that, go hit him up. He's always open for commissions. Um, today, my guest is Carrie Baldwin. Uh, this is a live stream if you're watching on the 5th. Uh, it'll only be available the day of. It'll go down. I'll put it behind a paywall. And then about a week from now, I'll put it up public again. Um, so if you want to be able to get access to it in the meantime, uh, do Patreon, uh, patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020, the lowest level is two bucks. The highest level is 20. Uh, there's differing levels in between with differing, uh, perks, but the biggest one's the 20 and that's the sponsor level. And as such, they get read off every episode. I have CD McRae of the whiskey and tea podcast. I have Jeremy actually just did an episode with him the other day. Um, he, is, he has an Etsy. He has sells some Liberty merch, uh, Etsy.com. Slash shops that's raising raising liberty. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy Rhymes. Also, a newer one I have now is Mikkel Thorup of the Expat Money Show. Uh, he's all about helping people uh, move out of the country uh, do, or do other type of stuff along those lines. Um, so, I mean, definitely, I, I always advocate moving towards more liberty if you can. Um, and obviously, his is a little bit more for those that have or have the means to move out of the country. But even then, I think that's good. Uh, go go where it works for you. Um, it, like I got Carrie Baldwin. So anyone's familiar with Carrie Baldwin's work knows uh, this will be this will be this will be abortion. We're in you know given given the 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 timing with uh, the Roe v Wade and all that. Uh, um, yeah, that's I mean it's pretty obvious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, is make sure to go check out Top Lobster. He has all the uh, Liberty merch you want. Uh, TopLobster.com. Use Jose at checkout for ten percent off. Uh, real quick, um, like you, a lot of you guys who watch Star Power know that's gotten nuked off YouTube for obvious reasons. It, it's a you know it's a comedy show and we go pretty hard. Um, but make sure to follow us on Odyssey. Uh, and also this weekend, uh, we have uh, this will be the seventh. You know, if you're watching the future and you will already have missed it, uh, we are having at Top Lobsters, uh, Top Lobsters House here in Florida. We are. Uh, Robbie Bernstein is having his kickoff uh, summer porch tour event at Top Lobster's house, and it's also going to be a crossover event with the Tower Power Hour. It's going to be a big, uh, a live podcast. It'd be a lot of fun, a whole day event, drinking, uh, just fun, uh, hanging out with hanging out with the people. Uh, it'll be a blast. If you can, I, I say you should go to it. I think you're gonna, if you can, you're gonna feel like you missed out. Uh, yeah, and just so you guys know, yesterday we finally followed through. Uh, the joke is over. Jacob uh, Winograd finally came on Tower Power Hour, so we, we can we can stop with that. All right, with that, uh, not, enough of this grifting. Let's get carry on. Hey, what's up, Carrie? Hi, Jose. How are you? Good. Uh, glad to have you on. Uh, I mean, topic's a little bit more somber, but we we can we we, we can keep it light to some extent. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to my audience, so they know who you are and what you're about. 
Sure. So my name is Carrie Baldwin. Um, my website is mirrorliberty.com. Uh, I'm an independent researcher and writer with a de degree in philosophy. Um, my mission with Mirror Liberty is to challenge and rethink prevailing paradigms in politics, religion, and culture. Um, so I uh, write from a theologically reformed perspective and a philosophically libertarian perspective. Um, I'm also on staff with the Libertarian Christian Institute and a contributor there. Um, I'm the co-author of a book called Faith Seeking Freedom, Libertarian Christian Answers to Tough Questions, and I'm best well known for uh, my debate at the Soho Forum with Walter Block about this very topic. So yeah. I think that that pretty much sums it up. Yeah, uh, it's probably one of my least favorite uh, libertarian theories is evictionism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Walter, but he's yeah. wrong on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I like Walter a lot, too, but I, I yeah. just... I could ne I don't understand the uh, the thinking that's a I don't know that great like I don't I don't think anyone's gonna argue that the the idea that if you can uh, you know take them out of the womb and you know take care of them that that wouldn't be a good thing the, the obviously the issue is I think a lot of people get enamored with the futurism of it and mm -hmm. then don't realize okay but the flip side is like but if they're not they die like is this right. just de facto murder <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting because as I as I learned Walter Block's position, it, it occurred to me, you know, he first wrote that way back in the 70s, like after Roe v. Wade was decided. Um, and I realized that it's really just a defense of Roe v. Wade in libertarian terms um, because Roe v. Wade didn't allow for uh, abortion post viability either. Um, a lot of people don't realize that. Um, so at any rate, but they also used to do abortions very differently back then, which, uh, was sort of aligned with what he described as eviction. Um, they did induction abortions, which means that they just induced a woman early and she delivered uh, a live baby who would then suffocate. Um, and that's how they did abortions. Um, now they do them very, very different, differently. And so I don't think, I, I don't think that, uh, Walter's, um, argument, even with, with eviction, if you want to, to go along with it, I don't think that it works with the methods of abortion now. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing about it too, is like, I, it, I don't feel like it's that novel. It's really, if you really think about it, cause, uh, I mean, obviously I don't know how many poll numbers have backed this up, but it's just my gut instinct is that when you talk to most pro-choicers or pro-choicers or pro-choice people, I feel like it's weird to call them pro-choice, pro-choicers. Pro-choicers, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But uh, uh, people of that ilk, usually most of them don't argue for uh, once they're viable. Most of them, that's when they start feeling icky about it. And they're like, well, I don't know. And like, and, and those are just usually your normal people who haven't really thought about it too deeply. And they mm -hmm. just, that's just kind of, they're like to them. And once it's not, before it's able to live outside the womb in their head, it's kind of just not a person to some extent. The, and I think that's just your normal people. And so to me, like the evictionism is just kind of like a big brain version of that. Like you're not really arguing for much different than what a normal person is arguing for anyways. So right. like, yeah. I don't know. But I mean, whatever. I'm not here to make fun of Walter Block. It's just evictionism always comes up in these circles. And it, yeah. I, it, it irks <laughs> me to no end because it's like this compromise that's uh, just like most compromises. Like, right. Doesn't isn't really it, any good. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, being as you come from the religious angle, I want to start out with that. Uh, I'll let know I'm, I'm an atheist. Uh, I'm not one of those cringy ones. I don't really care uh, too much to argue about it. And I actually grew up in the church. And one of the biggest things I've hated uh, with this like past week with all the abortion stuff is seeing all the religious people. Uh, the uh, I mean, obviously not all religious people. It's actually it's more like the prominent uh, big 
I don't know. Obviously, people put a microscope on it uh, to some extent, so I'm sure it's not representative of the larger group. Uh, but there are you see a lot of people coming out when the religious circles are being like, oh, you know, we're here for a woman's right to choose, blah, 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 etc. And I don't know. That really rubs me the wrong way because uh, I mean, I, I could I'd have a hard I'd be hard pressed to actually argue scripture right now. But I just remember growing up in the church. This was never the, the spirit of anything of that I ever experienced yeah. like. I mean, that's not to say that uh, I know the characterizations that the the pro-choice people will give of religious people. Obviously, those are flawed. I think most people in church aren't against abortion because they hate women or something stupid. It's just because they find it to be immoral and killing a baby, which is pretty reasonable because right. I yeah. agree with that. But I, I wanted to get your take. Uh, I want to get the religious argument because I actually think it's important. While I'm not a religious individual, I would like to hear your religious argument against it. We don't have to dwell on this for too long. Uh, I mean, so if you have a quick and dirty, uh, can it, like why from a religious perspective, abortion's not okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, it's just, so uh, it's funny because I don't make the, the, the religious <laughs> argument when it, when it comes to this topic. In fact, I intentionally avoided the religious argument. I mean, the religious argument is, is very easy. Um, we were created by God, you know, human beings are created by God. We're created in God's image. And, um, you know, scripture says that we were knit together in, in the womb and that he knew us from, from that point. Uh, um, and it also says thou shalt not murder. Um, mm -hmm. so it's, it's actually fairly simple and straightforward. Um, it's, I would say it's easy for a Christian to, to wrap their head around, um, the reason why I don't use a religious argument though, is because it's also the easiest one to shoot down. All you have to say is, well, I'm not a Christian. <laughs> I don't believe in God. Um, so at any rate, I mean, that's, that's fundamentally the, the argument is, you know, we're, we're created by God. We're image bearers of God. He says, don't, don't kill other image bearers of God. And that's it. Yeah. Now, the second part of this this uh, this line of questioning is I'm wondering if you've ever even actually heard a not to say it convinced you, but a, a reasonable argument from a religious perspective uh, for a pro-choice. Because the only the like I, I've gone on rabbit trails where I kind of get into like religious stuff and get interested in it. the I know, especially in Catholicism, sometimes it becomes arguing when someone gets a soul or something along those lines. And that becomes a determining like when it's OK to if it's OK to abort or whatever. And you can get in the weeds and get really weird. But I'm just curious if you've ever even heard one, because I haven't heard one that's convinced me when I was religious and after being religious. None of them uh, really seem to be, uh, you know, hold up to snuff. Yeah, well, I would say that the most prominent um, Christian quote unquote, <laughs> uh, there's, there's actually, um, a woman, her name is Be Beverly Wildung Harrison. I don't think she's alive anymore. She was known as the mother of Christian feminist ethics. And she wrote a book, um, about, let's see, I think the title's called our right to choose. And she made, um, she made a, an argument. It's mostly a philosophical one, but she tried to fit in Christian thought into it. Um, her argument was that uh, God had created women to be able to choose who will be born. So um, I would say, well, a woman has a right to choose whether she'll use her body to become a mother, right? Um, that involves a choice to have sex. That involves a choice to get married. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I disagree with, with her that 
you have that that God gave us a divine right to determine who will be born. Um, so she, but she's really the one that uh, that paved the way, I think, for a cr Christian feminist view. Most of the um, arguments, though, from a Christian perspective for the pro-choice side, is more along the lines of safe, legal, and rare, which is the Hillary Clinton mantra, um, and. Uh, that actually doesn't work out at all. I have uh, a podcast episode um, on my podcast, Dare to Think, where I actually deconstruct that entire argument, that safe, legal, and rare argument. And I basically say, look, if you are arguing in favor of marginalized groups, um, you know, the the unborn falls into each one of those marginalized groups, right? You, you're not going to protect or you want to protect the poor um, and the minority and uh, the female and and all of these other these other groups. But what about the poor baby and the minority baby and the female baby? Like um, it, it becomes really self-defeating. So I've never seen I've never seen a Christian argument for abortion that is persuasive in the slightest. Um, I do think that um, Will Dung Harrison has some interesting thoughts when it comes to bodily autonomy, which I'm very much in favor of. Um, but she overstates her claim by saying that we have a right to that women have a right to determine who will be born. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously you can. Uh, what's the uh, God? I've already forgot. I forgot the term. The uh, absurdum god i can't I usually oh, like argument argument at absurdum there you go at absurdum i couldn't think yeah. of the, the begin the ad part but uh i mean you could add absurdum that and that's easy you can just be like well i have the divine yeah. right who deserves he deserves to get to live and uh you know i if i killed that guy but that's that's a i mean that it just seems to be a workaround uh, argument unless some i'm assuming maybe he, he, the, she had scripture to back it up of some sort I'm assuming probably misinterpreted, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty misinterpreted. I mean, she's she's basically arguing for for matriarchy, and this is one thing that I point out <clears throat> with my libertarian argument is if you know if libertarians believe that women have a right to choose um, who will be born and who won't, then that's matriarchy. That's not libertarianism. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, all right, I have a super chat to bring up. Uh, it's it's silly. It's Daniel or Jacob Winograd. He <laughs> paid me money, so I'm a capitalist, and that's how this thing works. Uh, Hi, Carrie, Jacob. Is, Carrie is a white woman who must not be stopped. <laughs> so there you go. I'm a very white woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a. If you're unaware, that's a meme that went around about a few months ago, and and Daniel's still riding to the ground. So oh, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> or Jacob. Uh, his, his name throws me off all the time. I call him Daniel. I know he's Jacob. Me and him are, are good friends. I just had him on my show the other day. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um. All right. I actually was gonna kind of reverse this. I kind of want to give you my take because actually, uh, I I've I've been familiar with work uh, past couple of days. I checked out more of your work, and there's a lot of overlap in me and you's argumentation here. Uh. So, but there's some minor differences. So I want to just quickly give you mine perspective. Sure. And then I guess we'll just kind of jump off from there and you can kind of give me critiques. By the way, uh, for those in the chat, feel free to ask questions and stuff because this is a there's a lot of different angles to this. And we can, I have no problem bringing it up. You don't have to super chat. But I mean, if you do super chat, I'll definitely bring it up because that's how this works. Um, <laughs> all right. Here is where I'm coming from. I'm going to try to get these as concise as possible. Uh, I mean, I told you I'm an atheist. So, you know, I don't have I mean, you can kind of probably guess. Uh, I don't really buy into the natural law argument, but I, I kind of, I guess I'm in a certain sense, I come from like a Friedman-ish type way 
but basically, I think the best, uh, like, I think the the best, like, the most conducive way to have like the the greatest degree of harmony essentially would be a libertarian private property legal framework, something along those lines. And I think a separate human is created at the at when it has its own separate genetic code, essentially. So something along those lines. By the way, this is not you. I'm sure you're of way more uh, way more knowledgeable in this stuff. This is kind of my basic bullet points. Uh, at that point, it has its own property rights. It was created by the mother and the father. And so I see that in my head as a, some sort of like an implicit contract, if you will, of some sort. The example I like to use would be like if I went to a restaurant, sat down, waiter came to me. is like, what would you like to eat? I ordered, ate everything. At the end of the day, he gave, he gave me a bill. And I was like, what? You expect me to pay? Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, like, right. Like it was pretty obvious what was happening here. And any reasonable person who's ever uh, been in a restaurant can can understand that. Um the abortion, another example with abortions, you know, to put in private property terms would be kind of like if I invited someone and this even works in this situation because you're literally did the act that created the human being uh, mm-hmm. and you bring them up on a, a hot air balloon and then you decide once you're in the air, you know, I, I, I don't you know, what, I don't I don't think I want you in this balloon anymore. Uh, you need to get out like uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I think at some point you, you you do have some sort of positive right of like I need to wait till I bring them back. You want to call that call that a positive right? I think maybe that's a misuse of it, but sure, call it a private right if that that's what makes it works for you. Um, now, with this line of argumentation, I think this then makes it, in my opinion, I may be wrong, that in cases of rape or cases where, say, it's like underage children or you know probably uh, you know maybe mental retardation, you could make a case that they weren't aware of what they were doing, and maybe you could make some sort of case for why an abortion while unfortunate could be considered acceptable um because i mean how, how would i say this um because while you it wouldn't be fair to call the baby an aggressor it's still doing harm in some sense to the female's body they don't want it there i mean and they had no part in in bringing it into the situation so yes the child's not an aggressor but it's a thing causing her harm and it i think it's more than fair and i'm sure this is probably be where we have our uh we're coming at odds. I, by the way, it's not things I feel strongly about. <laughs> I'm very much okay. a novice, so I'm not gonna get hurt. Um, and yeah, that's kind of I think, and we can get into the legal stuff and in, in the bit because I think you actually have way more say than I do. This that's kind of where the legal side of this is where it really kind of is like uh, I draw a blank because it does get weird because it's mm-hmm. the the victim aspect. Like you killed mm-hmm. the victim, and who unless you have a father who wanted it, like it's you get into a weird like. Uh, how do we do restitution? But we, mm-hmm. we won't get into that. That's my why I'm not why I don't. I'm basically a pro-lifer, if you want to call me that. Although I don't necessarily advocate for uh, anti-abortion laws, uh, but you know, or or whatever. So, right. but I'm also not necessarily against them either. <laughs> so, right. I, I hear you. I yeah. hear you. So th- that's my bullet points, and I think it has a lot of similar argumentation. Although you take a couple different angles and end up with similar conclusions, except for the rape thing. That's the biggest, I think, place where we divert from. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess I'll, I'll start out with, um, you know, well, I'll start out with this, actually. Um, I was introduced to the notion of a pro-life libertarian. Mm, must have been like, well, it's probably been more like 15 years ago now. Um, the, uh, proprietor of the pro-life libertarians website, uh, was an atheist. Um, I don't know if they're still active on that site or not, but that's how I first found out about it. 
Um, and it's interesting because it was at about that time that I was also introduced to a pagan, uh, like practicing Wiccan uh, pro-lifer. And so that was the first time where I was like, oh, this isn't a Christian thing. <laughs> um, so at any rate, um, I, I'll, I guess I'll start with the natural law theory. Mm. Uh, um, that's that's one place where where we are distinct. And I'd say, you know, Murray Rothbard was also an atheist, um, although he was married to a Presbyterian. Yeah. Um, and he argued for a kind of natural law theory that didn't necessarily require a belief in God. Yeah. Right. It was basically if this is self-evident from nature, then there's uh, th there's a norm to be derived here. Right. There's a natural law to be derived. And so I think that one of the main problems with the abortion debate, especially among libertarians, is that they've looked at the situation between the woman and her offspring as being something that we need to um, apply a law to rather than derive a law from. Mm -hmm. And so that's where that that's where my position is is unique is because I'm looking at this, look, humanity is not just man qua man, right? Mankind qua male. Um, it is, uh, it, it, we have to look at it as ma mankind qua woman and mankind qua offspring, because that's it. Human beings are all three. Um, and so mankind qua woman teaches us something that, uh, that we haven't been able to learn from mankind qua man. So, um, at any rate, you know, my my argument with uh, with this has to do with the fact that every single human being originates from within the mother's womb. Every single being, uh, human being does, and so it's very difficult to apply these these analogies. You know, at, Walter is very famous for his his crazy analogies, but they none of them work because they're not like the situation with new offspring, which is, um, that's the point of emergence, right? <clears throat> Human beings don't emerge into any other place in the world. They don't come into existence. Um, even I remember in the, uh, was it the debate? I think it was after the debate, somebody had asked me, well, what if, what if we have technology like in Star Trek and you can transport people. Doesn't that, isn't that sort of the same thing? And it's no, because even if you look at that technology, um, that person is origin has originated from somewhere else. Right. And so before intercourse, before conception, that human being doesn't exist anywhere. It wasn't put in the mother. Um, it was created in the mother. It emerges in the mother. So we're looking at something that is actually um, a place where we derive a norm from rather than apply a norm to. Um, so that's number one. I number do want to comment on that. I will say yeah, I 100% agree that if, it, obviously I say I don't necessarily come from a natural law theory type perspective, but mm -hmm. if you're going to go down that line of logic, it's, it is kind of funny that that was where Rothbard's argumentation was based in and he still ended up uh, arguing the opposite, uh, which is because, I mean, what's more natural than childbirth? Uh, I mean, so, but yeah. Yeah, I would say, you know, uh, from reading Rothbard, I'd say Rothbard's motivation was to ensure uh, the self-ownership of the woman. 
Um, and I, I, I don't really find fault with that. I've mentioned before so the self-ownership of the woman matters, right? Her bodily autonomy, her agency matters. And this is where I think the conventional pro-life side really, really messes up. Um, and to their detriment, by the way, it's completely unhelpful. Mm. So, um, so at any rate, number one, the fetus emerges. This is where every human being emerges from. And even if you're going to talk about, say, in vitro fer fertilization, that's still an action taken by both um, a father and a mother. Um, even if we're only talking about the gamete cells that they're providing, it's still an action being taken by two people in order to create a new life. Um, so this is a very unique situation we should be deriving a normative law from. Um, let's see. What was your next point? Cause I forget. Uh, all right. Well, I started with, I, luckily I wrote these down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cause I would not remember. Uh, do, 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 do. uh and then I guess this kind of goes to when a human's created. Uh, cause uh, I put it, my next bullet point was a separate human is created the point as its own separate genetic code, which I mean, you might get a little more of the science there. Uh, I will say too, that the, I just to com add a little comment is not necessarily pertinent, but I do think it kind of it relates to this and uh for those two it's something i think people should be keen on when they're noticing people talk about a subject a lot of people will bring in the word person or personhood and mm -hmm. it's you have to be very clear what are we talking about here because uh, a lot of times people use person or personhood with their the most arbitrary of definitions that they just made up on the spot uh i just go simple with it because it's like i realize that's insanely vague and I just go human being. Um, that's a human being. Um, at what point can we call this a human being? And that that's to me the most concise place to put it, but go on. Yeah. So what I say is that from the moment conception is complete. So conception is a process that actually takes three days. We, it's not a moment like we used to think. Um, but from the moment concep conception is complete, uh, you have a new, unique, living human. And I intentionally leave out the being part because mm -hmm. the being is the person. Um, and the reason why I leave this out, I don't make a personhood argument either. The reason why I leave this out is because the personhood debate is a metaphysical one. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a legal argument. And, the you know, we've... <laughs> The United States has had the this this legal debate about whether you can have a human who is not a person. We've been through this, and it was a nightmare. Um, and we should never revisit that. So, as far as the law is concerned, if you have a human, then you should have then they have rights. So, what I'm arguing from the uh, libertarian position is not that this is a person. Uh, I leave that that question aside and say we can we can debate that all you want. Um, is this a rights bearing individual? And so the two requirements for a rights bearing individual, according to Rothbard, is that number one, you're human, and number two, you have direct and immediate control over or possession over over your own body. And yeah, the science is really interesting on this because, um, and I don't think that you need the science, but it's really helpful. Um, the science is really interesting on this because during that process of conception, um, that process is there so that the instructions that the cell is following switch from mother to offspring. And at the end of that, what they find is the fetus, the offspring, um, their, the, their development is completely self-directed. It's autonomous and, and self-directed. 
Um, and so that's very important because it's not mom who develops the baby. It's the baby who develops itself within the mother. So the placenta and the umbilical cord both belong to baby. They're created by baby. Um, and we do know that because of the DNA. I do um, caution people that it's not merely the presence of DNA, um, though, that um, that is the, the deciding factor on this. I mean, you can take you can take a piece of your own DNA right now, right? And mm. sort of set it aside. And that's not another Jose, right? Yeah. So, and you can, there could even be genetic mutations within it. So you could say it's a separate genetic code. Right. People could get really, uh, if you, if you got a few lawyers in here, they could go to town. Uh, obviously. Oh that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and it does, it does raise an interesting question, you know, it raises all kinds of interesting questions about cloning and whether or not like, you know, you get that genetic testing done and does that company now like own a part of you? Like, it, it's interesting that the way the or the implications for all all of that is concerned. Um, so, yeah, I don't make an argument for personhood. Um, in fact, it's really interesting. It's the pro-lifers now who try to um, or at least they were trying to pass personhood laws. I think that they've they've left that behind and are now on these heartbeat laws. Um, but I remember cautioning pro-lifers about this because. Oh, well, uh, again, you don't want the state deciding, defining what a person is apart from from a human. Uh, um, that's just that's a recipe for for disaster and rights violations all over the place. Um, oh, there was something I was going to say, and I totally forgot it. <laughs> uh, by the way, I see you in the chat, Daniel. We will get into the law aspect of it. Um... Cause, uh, but I just feel like that feels more appropriate at the end. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know what I was going to say. The, the personhood argument was actually started by a woman by the name of Marianne Warren, uh, who is a pro-choicer. Um, and so she's the one that, in fact, somebody was, was debating this on Twitter today. They were like, oh, sentience is what gives you personhood. Well, that's, that's an argument from Marianne Warren. And she actually had like six or seven different uh, criteria that she had just arbitrary, ar arbitrarily <laughs> came up with as criteria for personhood. And what's interesting about her argument is that um, it doesn't even apply to born individuals. And so that's, that's a problem. So anybody who's, who's arguing, you know, for these, these particular characteristics, sentience or emotionality or anything like that, um, it, it doesn't actually work for born people. And so that's your big red flag that, nope, this isn't, this isn't the ground for, for human rights. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that definitely opens a Pandora's box if you, uh, <laughs> follow the yeah. logic to its end. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, then I guess the, then I guess the, the next point that falls that, uh, I kind of went into is the fact that, uh, the child was created by the act of, of a, I mean, this is assuming, uh, contingent on that it was a consensual act. Uh, of a mother and father and uh yes you may not have meant to do it but anyone any human being who understands you know how the reproductive or uh, organs operate should know that uh when you have sex there's a, always a chance no matter how careful you are uh i mean i guess within reason if you have your ovaries removed or something it's probably not happening but right. i mean for the most part you I mean you can be reasonable and like, we know how this works. Like, mm -hmm. so there is an act you're doing that is very likely to, uh, or not very likely. There's a chance that it'll do it. Not, I, I mean, by the way, I'm, I'm someone who I have a, I have a 12 year old. I have a nine year old, both girls. Uh, I've been married over a decade. I 
but I mean, and I before I got married, I mean, I fooled around, but I always knew it was like eh, I'm taking a risk here. Like, I mean, I know it's a dude's perspective, but like it's the honest perspective. Like, mm-hmm. like I always knew there could be a call, and uh, <laughs> it's time to get <laughs> responsible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say. Um, I mean, definitely what you what you have going on here, and I, I've seen this argument too before that. Um, you know, a, a woman who has sex is inviting the offspring into her body or a woman who has sex is already consented to being pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those aren't true things to say. Um, and the reason yeah. why I say that is because a, a woman who consciously takes uh, birth control has withdrawn her, her consent for pregnancy right? Mm. She's by taking that birth control. She's saying, no, I don't actually want to be pregnant. I want to do this act. I don't want to be pregnant. So those are two different things. And I think that we should be very um, careful about that. As I said, a woman's agency matters Mm. um, and it doesn't serve any of us any good to diminish it in any way. Um, However, you know, uh, and this is something that Ludwig von Mises talks about in human action. Um, that is, is that we are not free. Well, and he doesn't use these exact words, but essentially we're not free from the consequences of our actions. Um, and that goes for the actions that uh, we take where we don't know what the outcome is. Um, and the reason why that's the case is because most actions that we take, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, right? Even if you do engage in sexual intercourse, like if you know that there's a possibility, that's one thing, but you don't know that pregnancy is actually going to occur as a consequence, right? You have infertile couples, for example, who try and try and try and their actions don't result in that consequence. So uh, what I say is that um, conception is an involuntary process that can result from, from intercourse. And as long as the, the choice for intercourse was volitional, you know, in other words, that woman made a choice to have sex, whether she knew what the consequences were going to be or not, she is now responsible for the consequences of those actions. Now she can help herself by being informed, right? Um, by, by learning something about sex, by learning something about the consequences, by learning something about, you know, motherhood, about birth control, like she can, she can inform herself and, and, um, you know, decide whether that's a risk worth taking, but it's still a risk, right? And she's not free from the consequences of her actions. So where volitional intercourse has taken place, if she gets pregnant, she is then responsible for uh, for the result. And that incidentally means that there's no force involved. The pro-choice side wants to say, oh, you're forcing me to carry a baby. Well, no, there's, there's no force. The, the baby isn't an, an actor. It can't it has. It didn't have any choice in, in coming into being. None of us did. Um, it's not taking an action against you, so it's not a, a, a violation of the non-aggression principle. Uh, nobody's forcing you. Now, in the case of rape, it is true that somebody is forcing you to carry a child. Um, but that, in that case, we have to. And I use this in in the Walter Block debate. We have to go back to the. Um, Robinson Crusoe thought experiment. Um, you take away the technology for 
birth control, you take away the state or any civil governance, any, you know, the church, anybody who might come along and try to say that there's a moral obligation for her to carry that baby. You take away all of that. Um, and you just have a man and a woman on the island. If that man rapes that woman, she's stuck with, with that baby until she gives birth. So there's actually a natural limitation that's created on her that, 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 natural limitation occurs, whether it's volitional or not. Um, but in the case of rape, the person, the, the force involved is from the rapist. And the reason why um, I argue that abortion shouldn't be allowed in the case of rape is because that lets the rapist off the hook. Um, that lets him scoot his way out the back door and uh, and leave the woman with, with the baby. Um, and that's a problem because that's saying that in our current criminal justice system reflects that, uh, it's saying that rape is just this, this passive act. It's, it's already passed. It's gone. I'm very sorry that you're pregnant, but that that's it. Um, it's, it's really interesting that Rape is one of the only violent crimes where judges will ask if the woman invited it. Uh, you know, when when somebody is murdered or uh, you know is is has their property stolen, nobody says, "Well, were you asking for it? Maybe just a little bit." Like nobody does that, but they do it with with rape cases. So, um, at any rate, I'm I'm opposed to abortion in the case of rape, because it lets the rapist off the hook. Um, incidentally, the uh, when legal abortion was being advocated for uh, with second wave feminism, it wasn't the feminists initially who wanted abortion to be legalized. It was a group of men, Hugh Hefner was one of them, um, who uh, wanted to make abortion legal so that they could have consequence-free sex. And somehow uh, that got translated into, oh, the sexual revolution is about women wanting to have consequence-free sex. And there were certainly feminists that jump, jumped on board with Hugh Hefner and, and his guys. Um, but that was started by a, a, a small group of men. I don't want to lump all men into that, but it was a small group of men who wanted to get off the hook for being responsible as a father. So, you know, incidentally, um, if we recognize the rights of the fetus, the, the fact that it's a rights-bearing individual, we get a very clear picture of what rape is. Um, we get a very clear picture of, of what's going on with the woman. The woman's an owner of a means of production, right? That rape isn't just uh, non-consensual sex, right? That's why it seems like it's a passing thing. Oh, well, you know, there's lots of things that we don't give our consent for or that we um, arbitrarily or haphazardly give our consent for in like, you know, terms and conditions um, on, an, on an app. It's like, read this whole thing before you accept this app. Okay. Um, we do that all the time and it's a very passing moment. But if, if, if the fetus is a rights-bearing individual, then the woman is an owner of a means of production, and it's the ultimate means of, of production. If the if the woman's an owner of the of of a means of production, then that means that rape is 
not just about consent. Rape is invasion. It's usurpation. It's enslavement. Um, I mentioned on the Bob Murphy show that it is literally the manifestation of war on the individual. Um, and I don't mean that in a metaphorical sense. I mean that in a very literal sense. Um, now, metaphorically, you might say that war is the rape of a nation, um, but we wouldn't be able to say that without being able to establish what uh, what rape is on the individual. Um, but extended from that, then, we would actually be able to figure out where father's rights come into the picture. And I know that that's a very, um, that's a very important issue for a lot of libertarian men um, who've been disenchanted with the feminist movements and um, child custody laws and fa family courts and all of those nightmares. And even those men who uh, who know women who aborted their offspring and didn't want the their, their child aborted. So um, I haven't actually worked that out, but um, I know that it, that my view has implications for that, that, that need to be worked out. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. Well, I think we kind of covered, you, you kind of pushed back a little bit on a lot of my points there. Uh, I, I will say uh, the rape, the rape thing for me is probably the part where I struggle the most. I, I just only come to that conclusion because I kind of go sort of the contract theory way, whereas you're coming from a more natural law. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say the, the take you've given on uh, why uh, abortion is permissible through rape obviously is contingent on a uh, on a certain criminal justice system to some extent uh, being in place, which we don't necessarily have. Yeah. Um, it I, I find that to be the most satisfactory answer I, I've ever gotten for why that would be okay. Because yeah, it definitely is like a non consensual thing. Um, you know that you were i mean i get it it wasn't the the uh, baby who did it to you but to some extent it is like you're being harmed and you have the means to reduce the harm uh and obviously i mean with that comes some consequences and that sucks um and i mean obviously when i speak on this i'm speaking from a legal framework it's not saying i endorse it in any way shape or form like i, I like to think if i was a woman and that happened to me i would keep it just because it's like it's another being another human mm -hmm. so it's like but you know from a legal libertarian legal perspective that's why we end up with people like rothbard who i mean I, I bet you if you asked him he'd probably think it's morally reprehensible he he probably would advocate i would think in a uh, in a free society i guarantee you'd probably say that would be have more traditional values and there, that would probably be one of the reasons why there wouldn't be abortions because it's you know. well i imagine that in a libertarian society women could insure their bodies against rape so that even if um, even if they couldn't get, and I would expect that uh, legally this would be handled in a tort law situation. Um, I have not actually calculated the numbers, but I believe that rape would be considered one of the most expensive crimes. Um, and tort law has been shown to have a deterrence effect. So you probably wouldn't actually have a whole lot of rapes to deal with. But um, I also imagine that women could insure their bodies um, so that if a rape occurred and she couldn't get restitution from her rapist, she could, she could get an insurance payout. Um, I think, I think that would be a wonderful solve to that problem. Um, you know, the, the reason why, um, people want to give, and I used to, I, I used to believe that rape was, was an exception. Um, the reason why is because when you have empathy for that, for that person who's been victimized in, in such a way, you do want to relieve their burden in some way. 
right? And so I can I can sympathize with the fact that people who allow for this exception want to relieve that burden. Um, I get it. Um, but at the end of the day, this is an issue that requires adjudication. It, that's that's where we need civil governance, and women are being, you know, they're they're left hanging with that. Um, so this is one of those cases where uh, this sort of help, this sort of relieving the burden, is is actually a, a greater travesty for the woman. She's not getting justice for for the action taken against her. Uh, uh, Caleb Brown of Faithfully Praxis asked me to ask you about uh, IVF. I don't know if you want to expand on that. I don't know if that, I mean, I obviously I, I know you know what IVF is, but mm -hmm. I don't know what he means by ask you about it. Uh, there are a lot of things to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he's, I think he's asking, I think, and I'm pretty sure he's asked me on Twitter before. I believe what he's asking me is if, um, in vitro fertilization would be permissible in, in a, pro-life libertarian society, let's put it that way. Um, and, you know, the the issue with IVF is that you have to fertilize multiple eggs at once and you implant some of them. Um, and you do it this way because there is an expectation that most will not survive, that that only one or two will will take. And every now and then you hear these crazy stories about you know, sextuplets or whatever, where you, a woman gives birth to six or seven babies. Well, that's because all of the, um, all of the, the fertilized eggs were, you know, took. Um, so the, actually the big question is what do you do with the eggs that, um, didn't get implanted? Uh, well, those get frozen and, um, they've actually got a name for them. I can't remember what the name is for them. Maybe Caleb knows because um, you can actually adopt these embryos. Sometimes they get they get frozen. Like if if, uh, you know, you fertilize, I don't know, 10 eggs and you use five of them and one of them takes, you know, the other four, four die in the womb. Um, you've got five that are just frozen perpetually until somebody wants them. Um, so the big question is. Is it a violation of a person's rights to be kept on ice perpetually until you're useful? Um, and I'd say it's a very utilitarian way of looking at human beings. Um, and if a fetus is a uh, rights-bearing individual from the moment conception is complete, then they have a right to not be frozen even even for a short amount of time, they're being used in, in that regard. And so I think that's a rights violation. So if there is an IVF procedure in a libertarian society, it could not include, um, you know, freezing, freezing embryos and, and, you know, that sort of thing. So. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the legal side of things. Like what exactly would we do with a mother in a, in a obviously in a, in a, true free society you know not our current one because i mean um really our our current criminal criminal justice system is basically set up to be punitive which i think most libertarian legal systems uh you know theoretically are supposed to be more like a uh, what's a not a recompense uh, maybe that's not the wrong word restitution, uh, restitution. yeah um so uh, that's usually what most of them argue for, and I agree with that. Uh, the the point isn't to be some you know archaic concept of revenge. It's supposed to be more to uh, make the victim um, whole again. 
Um, and uh, so, and I mean, obviously with that becomes the issue with abortion is, um, you know, who obviously the victim you killed and, uh, you know, being as they're a fetus, they probably don't have a whole lot of people that could take up the mantle of the aggrieved party aside from maybe uh, one of the two people involved in creating it. And obviously maybe the father, but I, so it, it, it gets mm-hmm. in a weird legal quagmire, which with what do we do here? Um, you know, so I'll let you go. Yeah. So, you know, if we, if, if we were even just talking about the American constitutional Republic, right, that would still be preferable to the police state that we have right now. Um, you know, pro-lifers, when they talk about criminalizing abortion, um, there's this sense of moral outrage, right? They, they want to actually, there's, there's some revenge, some sense of revenge that they want to take with the mother. Um, you know, they want to take some punitive action. And the reality is, is in the constitutional Republic, she has, um, you know, she has a presumption of innocence. Um, she is to be free of, of, uh, searches and seizures. Um, she is, you know, she's got all of these, these rights of the accused that exist that, um, or that are supposed to exist that don't actually exist now in our, in our current paradigm. I mean, there's some lip service we'll say. Um, but, uh, you know, when it comes to say the war on drugs, uh, all they need is, uh, all the police need is, is mere suspicion. Um, and that becomes a problem in the pro-choice. I would say pro-choice libertarians are right to, to call this out. Um, there's a concern that a woman who say miscarries, um, will get caught up. Somebody will accuse her of having, you know, taken an abortion pill or whatever, and she'll get caught up in the legal system, um, for, for really no good reason. She didn't commit a crime. And that's very dangerous because a lot of women who miscarry will actually blame themselves and take responsibility when, when they shouldn't, um, you know, they're not, they're not in a good mental health state when they miscarry. Um, and so they will blame themselves. And that is the, the, the last place you want these women to be are siphoned up into, uh, into a, a police state in that whole situation. So, um, you know, when it comes to enforcement, uh, I'm very much anti-authoritarian on that. I don't think that we should use a police state to, to inf- enforce ab- abortion prohibition. But how would we actually do it? Um, there are two forms uh, of, of justice or adjudication that I would say are valid. One is tort, which we've already explained uh, or talked about a little bit. Um, I think that this is more appropriate, say, for, you know, a physician who um, gives a woman the, the, the two pills used in, in a medical abortion, right? Um, I think in that case, that's, that should be used in a, in a tort situation. He should have to pay restitution to the grieving party. That could be the father. That could be, um, I would say, any, like the, the woman's parents, um, any in-laws, right? Anybody who has a direct familial connection, I think would have a legitimate claim. Um, I would say though, that when it comes to the abortive woman, um, most women abort because for two reasons, poverty and bad relationships. 
Um, and I say bad relationships, but I mean like abusive relationships. I don't mean just, you know, I don't get along with my boyfriend. I mean, you know, uh, emotionally, psychologically, and even physically abusive relationships. Um, in that case, she really is in a, in a situation of crisis. Um, when it comes to poverty or a sense of poverty, you know, she might she might be middle income, but they might be really tight on their household budget and she doesn't feel like they, they can afford uh, to, to have the baby. And so she goes, she'll, she'll go and abort. Um, in those situations, I would say that the model, uh, at least the model that I advocate for is the restorative justice model. Um, this is a model that has been uh, really promoted heavily by Matt Kibbe and his wife um, from Free the People. They have a documentary called How to Love Your Enemies, uh, where they document um, re the restorative justice model that is used in Longmont, Colorado. And they've actually been using it, I think she said, for like two decades. Um, but in this model, um, you don't have offenders, you have responsible parties. Um, and you, you do have a victim, uh, but you bring the victim and the responsible party together. It's all voluntary and it's done outside of the state. Um, the, the, uh, municipality doesn't, doesn't operate this. It's voluntary. Um, the responsible party and the victim come together, um, in a, um, a supervised environment, you know, they've got, uh, they've got volunteers from the community, they've got um, workers who understand the model, um, and they come together and they really talk about where, um, you know, what harm was actually taking, taking place, what that meant to the victim. Um, but we also get to hear why the responsible party made the decisions that, that she did or that he did. Now, I will say that they don't use this model, and I think they're right to not use this model in cases of abuse, um, because in that case, it's very bad to get, in that case, that the mom's the victim, even though she's she's abortive. Um, she's a, a victim of, of an abusive spouse, and that's very dangerous to bring those two together. But, um, and so in that case, I would say there's there's a potential tort, but you'd have to, you know, you'd have to work that out. Um, at any rate, <clears throat> with the restorative justice model, the aim is not to be punitive. The aim is to restore, um, restitute, to make the victim as whole as, as can be. You can, you can never perfectly do that. Um, but it also aims to, uh, not destroy people's lives. And a woman who's aborted already feels like her life is destroyed, <laughs> Um, there's no sense in, in rubbing salt on that wound. Um, so, you know, it, it aims to restore not only the victim, but the responsible party as well so that they don't repeat. Um, and I'd say that one of the, um, one of the most convincing things about the restorative justice model is, is that it produces such a low recidivism rate, meaning they don't repeat our current justice and justice system for violent crime. Okay. So this is murder. This is theft. This is rape, um, arson, whatever, whatever else. Um, our current system is intended to produce deterrence, but it doesn't. It is intended to reduce, uh, recidivism, but it doesn't. It's completely ineffective. Um, it creates more trauma. It creates more problems. 
Um, and it is perpetually more and more expensive. <laughs> Victims are actually having to pay for the incarceration of, of the person who, who violated their rights. And that's not justice either. So um, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the restorative justice model. Um, I also think tort is an, is an option. Um, I think, you know, some special care would have to be taken in, in cases of uh, abusive relationships. But even that, um, there's a solution. There's a solution to that as well. And if our system is set up to recognize, um, you know, who, what a woman is, and she's the owner of her means of production, that her bodily autonomy matters, that her agency matters, then I think issues, sticky issues like abuse will, um, will be taken care of much more effectively and compassionately. Yeah. Uh, thanks for five dollars, uh, Drywall O. Uh, Daniel has a question, uh, which was kind of what I was probably gonna sort of get into, but uh, I'll I'll just let this be the segue. What would Carrie say to conventional pro-lifers that these forms of justice is not good enough and it's pretty much pro-choice? I was basically gonna ask you. Uh, it sounds to me that you don't want any more new laws in the books, at least from the state. Uh, but you, you know, the way I look at it, I mean, I don't know if you agree. I don't want more laws in the books, but it's not something I'm really going to pull a whole lot of effort against, you know, arguing against. Cause I mean, it's the same thing with like, I don't know, so, any other forms of aggression, like theft laws, whatever. While I may not think the state's, uh, form of action is the best thing against, I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time on something that I do see as a form of aggression. I mean, if someone asked me, I'd be like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work, but and at the end of the day, it still is a form of aggression. And at the very least they're sort of trying to address it, but I don't think they're going to do it right. But, uh, go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, um, you know, for, for those, for those pro-lifers who do want to enact legislation, I think that the biggest red flag for me is <clears throat> what that legislation says about enforcement. Um, and, I would say libertarian pro-lifers really need to get active on this, either in, um, you know, constructing that that legislative language in such a way that it it is, um, you know, reforming that enforcement in some way, um, allowing for options such as restorative justice. Restorative justice and and tort are both already being used. Um, uh, tort certainly much more than than restorative justice, but restorative justice is becoming quite popular. Um, and so, you know, you can have new laws written that say abortion should be illegal. Um, it can even be considered murder. Um, but in the language of the legislation is where we should really be saying uh, no to, you know, war on drugs sorts of of uh, enforcement and saying yes to restorative justice um, using those models. Um, I do think Roe v. Wade should be overturned, although uh, this may come as a surprise to pro-lifers. I think that Roe v. Wade should be overturned because it's bad for women. Uh, um, and I tell pro-choicers this all the time. They like to say that overturning Roe v. Wade will um, uh allow for a handmaid's tale scenario, but that's not true. Roe v. Wade um, puts the woman's liberty interest concerning her, her concerning her body and pregnancy um, uh, at the uh, oh, how do they put it? Well, it's subject it's subject first to state interest. So Roe v. Wade actually sets the stage for a handmaid's tale. We've just not experienced that because the government has been mostly pro-choice. 
Um, but if, if it ever, if this, if the, if it were ever in the state interest to, uh, start increasing the population, Roe v. Wade actually gives them the power to do that. Um, so I'm in favor of overturning Roe v. Wade because it puts, uh, it subjects a woman's bodily autonomy and agency to the state. Um, and, uh, obviously it allows for abortion and that's a problem, but, um, again, I'm an advocate of women's bodily autonomy and agency. So yeah, you can, you can create laws that criminalize abortion, but we need to, um, those need to, the enforcement aspect needs to be reformed. Otherwise there's going to be a huge, huge problem. And I would say in the States, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, and I got to be honest, I'm skeptical that it will be. Um, <clears throat> but there's said to be about 26 states that um, will automatically criminalize abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. In those states, um, pro-life libertarians especially need to be advocating for two things in those states. Number one, criminal justice reform. And number two, uh, deregulating the market because it's the markets that's going to provide all of the life-affirming alternatives that women need to have access to in order to voluntarily not choose abortion. All right. Uh, I think, unless anyone has any more questions in the thing, we've we've kind of hit a good point. We're at about an hour now. Uh, if you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Yeah, so you can read all of my stuff on MereLiberty.com. You can um, also catch some of my my work on uh, at LibertarianChristians.com. That's the Libertarian Christian Institute. Um, I also have uh, member support. You can find that on my website. Um, you can sign up for my email list. I am in the process of writing my formal paper um, to be submitted for peer review on this. And I'm giving my monthly members updates as to how that, that process is going. I'm hoping to have it done before the end of the year. Um, and that will include my objections, my formal objections to Walter Block. So mm -hmm. you can find that all at my website, merelyreview.com. Awesome. Like I said, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, you. You can follow me on uh, uh, YouTube, all the major audio podcasters, Odyssey, uh, Twitter at 2020 No Way Jose. Uh, if you want to give me money, patreon.com, just No Way Jose 2020. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. With that, we are out. Thank you guys for showing up. And uh, I saw you in the chat, Caleb. I know you're in Florida. I better see you this weekend at the uh, at the Robbie event. All right. <laughs> I'll see you guys. In broadcast.